the home of medicine podcast with me dr amy burbridge i'm a consultant in acute medicine i'm ben lovell i'm a consultant in acute medicine uh, working in london in the uk as well right so ben you have a case for me today yes i do it's an SDEC case because i know you enjoy them so um it's a same day emergency care ambulatory care and i was the ambulatory care consultant and we were busy of course and we were seeing patients and a lot of what we see in ambulatory care are people with swollen legs do they have a dvt deep vein thrombosis and we rule that in or rule that out and i got a call from utc that's the urgent treatment center um, which is located really just around the corner from me we're all we're all sitting together in a, in a little village um in one wing of the hospital and it was a gp working in the utc and they said oh can i please send you a patient because i have a 55 year old man here with an acutely swollen painful leg and he needs a dbt workup can you come around and i said yes of course you can send him around and that's how this story sort of began and about 10 minutes later i noticed a patient not walking around from utc but being wheeled around in a wheelchair by a healthcare assistant and left in the waiting room in estec and i turned and said to my co- my nurse consultant colleague said who is that patient who's just been wheeled around in a wheelchair she went, that's the dbt you just accepted from, from utc and I sort of went round, peered round into the waiting room and had a look and my heart sank because, well, first of all, why is he in a wheelchair when he was meant to be a fit and well 55 year old man and he was wearing shorts and I could see that, yes, his right leg was swollen, but end of the uh, waiting room assessment, his right leg was massively swollen. It was blue and mottled and did not look so much like a DVT to me as an acutely ischemic limb. Uh, And my heart sank and it sort of sank for three reasons, really, because number one, what I thought was going to be a a standard quick DVT workup, which we can do in our sleep in in Estec, it's our bread and butter. This has now exploded into what is probably going to be many hours long interaction with a very sick patient, which we had not managed to plan into our day and didn't didn't really need to have um, coming around in our day. Second of all, the patient is in the wrong place. This is an surgical emergency. I'm not a surgeon. I have a lot of respect for surgeons and there is not much that I could do with my physicianly wares to sort out an acutely ischemic limb with fluids, frusamide, et cetera. Um, and third of all, I had a little bit of wave of irritation that I'd been, how shall I phrase, missold a patient, uh, this, a misdirected, mistriage, that's better. I've been mistriaged a patient. This, this, is, this, re- this should be in majors. This should be having surgeons looking at him and now he's sitting in my waiting room and he can't wait there because his leg is in so much pain. So I made a very immediate judgment, a very immediate diagnosis from about 20 feet away of an acutely ischemic limb. Um, And I wheeled this gentleman into a clinic room because he simply could not put any weight on that leg. And I said, what's happened to you? He says, yesterday I noticed my thigh, my right thigh was a bit swollen and I sort of ignored it. And today the whole leg woke me up in extreme agony. I can't put any weight on it. It's hugely swollen, as you can see, and this has never happened before. And I did a quick sort of history. He was a fit and well guy, did not smoke, didn't drink much alcohol. He had had a hernia operation, routine elective repair, just nearly two months prior to this was the only thing that happened to him recently. But otherwise he worked in IT. He was uh, an independent guy. And I looked at the, the leg and it was cold. And I tried to remember the six Ps of, of acute ischemic limb. Do you remember them? 
do you know i've actually just wrote down six p's <laughs> i'm like yeah. i must remember these so it's pale yeah paresthesia yeah perishingly cold well that's the only one i could remember perishing cold because it's such <laughs> a weird one yeah <laughs> pales pulseless paresthesia perishingly cold hair loss is that one of them but it's no, not obviously no no remind me of the other two pallor pain pallor easier paralysis pulselessness paralysis. and perishingly cold now if you're clever enough, you could change perishingly cold to uh poikilothermia if, and if you're fluent in ancient greek but perishing cold weirdly was the only one that stuck in my brain from 2005 when i ever last revised these sorts of things so mm -hmm. leg was cold it was, as I say, it was blue and it was mottled. I could not feel any peripheral pulses in his feet. Um, mm -hmm. Says his, it felt numb. He said, my leg, it feels dead, which was never a good sign. And um, and yeah, so that's where, that's where I stood with that patient at the moment. Sitting in technically what is an outpatient area. So this is more a question of logistics, but what would you you do? How, did, how would your your department be set up to manage a patient like that? I think the first thing is to make sure that, and I'm sure that you did this, is that the patient is safe, they're hemodynamically stable. I always say A to E. I think I probably say that about 200 times a day, just because I always go back to basics. So A to E assessment, make sure he's not in any pain, make sure he's comfortable, check his blood pressure, you know, his observations, make, you know, is he in fast AF? You know, trying to think about what has caused this ischemic limb. Has he got anything in the abdomen? Check the thigh out. You said that there was an issue with the thigh. So have a look at that. It was very swollen. Was it swollen because of poor blood flow? Or was it swollen because there'd been an injury? Had he been lifting weights? I'm thinking compartment syndrome. I'm just, I'm basically thinking very laterally. But aside from that, I would try and find somewhere comfortable for him to be because certainly sitting in a waiting room with an acutely ischemic limb is not the best place to to leave him so pop him in a waiting room I would do his observations I would get an ECG I would do some blood tests on him check his clotting hemoglobin kidney function liver function probably do a group and save because thinking ahead is he going to be going to theatre or not and then start to think about, OK, who is the best person to manage this patient? And it's certainly not going to mean me as an acute physician. So I would probably reach out to, depending on hospitals, but in my hospital, we do have a vascular surgeon on call. So I'd speak to the vascular team, probably the registrar, consultant, depending who I can get hold of, ask for some advice, ask for an opinion, ask them to come and see the patient. And then it's probably going to need an urgent angiogram of the limb um, and potentially that may involve interventional radiology as well, depending on what treatment options are at your hospital. So that is probably where I'd be going at this moment in time. I probably wouldn't move him. Um, so an option would be actually to transfer him to the surgical assessment unit. But before I move him, I probably want to, because he's been moved already from from one area to another area. And I think times we do move patients a lot. Um, and actually, while I've got him with me and I'm doing the bloods and ECG, I'm going to make a few phone calls before I move him onwards. That's, I'm thinking that's, a uh, you made two points that really jumped out at me there. One is about looking at the patient as a whole, because to confess, I was in that room talking to and staring at this patient's leg. And you're right, A to E assessment is really crucial. And it's very easy to fixate on the glaring problem in front of you. 
Um, so I'm standing there taking history whilst pretty much fixated on the leg, touching the leg, assessing the leg, you know, and the patient might be like, hello, my eyes are up. What, 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 uh, would you like to ask me any questions? What's my blood pressure? You know, is my chest clear? Are there any arrhythmias? But you're absolutely right. And I think it's really important to try and maintain that focus. And we always talk about A to E, but the, the thing is, it's a really important anchor as well as a cognitive aid. It's useful to do an assessment. You shouldn't miss anything, but it's good to anchor yourself back to your um, to a place where you can see the patient as a whole rather than jumping to the C or the E or the B or whatever, in this case, the E, I guess, exposure, whatever um, the abnormality is. It's a good way to make sure you don't miss anything out. So that definitely uh, resonates with me. Going back and doing the A to E assessment rather than fixating on the one the one place. And the other thing is, um, yes, who is the right person to cooperate? And what do we do now? The patient has unfortunately just moved down into an area where, where you know, it's, it's outside a standard operating practice. And I think the key thing here, and this is what I always say to other people as well, is try not to waste too much cognitive bandwidth in the moment focusing on how did this happen who 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 let this happen? where what's what's going on this should never have happened this should never you know getting yourself agitated but also you have to sort of deal with the situation in front of you accept that it, should, it shouldn't have happened because your systems are complex and one little thing can result in an outcome that you didn't appreciate but in the moment when especially when there's a sick patient in front of you that's not the time to be trying to pick up the threads of what went wrong uh, and and sort of make that investigation. You have to sort of swallow that down a bit and say, well, this isn't ideal, but this is what the situation is. What are we going to do with the patient right at the center and the focus of this situation to keep him safe now? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, in acute medicine for me and you, I think we find ourselves in situations that, that maybe quite frequently where we're thinking, this shouldn't have happened. Uh, this, this wasn't appropriate for this to have turned out this way. But... I always say to myself and to others, focus on the patient now. We'll do the post-mortem a bit later on when we've got the bandwidth to do it. Because we've got to make sure this patient with an emergency is safe. So as, as you say, we did our assessment and I, I rang the, the vascular registrar and I can't remember how, but I, I got through to the vascular consultant who was anyway very, very helpful. And she uh, said, I'll come down and see the patient. And she did. And we saw the patient side by side and I presented the patient to her saying, look, I've got a patient here in my SDECAS, in the assessment clinic with an acutely ischemic limb help. Um, I'm happy to arrange a scan that you might like, but, but we can't look after the patient and uh, we need your expertise moving forward. And she came and saw the patient very quickly. She came with an ultrasound scanner and she put it on his dorsalis pedis and it was so swollen, his foot, I couldn't feel his DP and neither could she, but we could see on the Doppler flow, there was a pulse. It was pulsing and she went oh this isn't acute ischemia look he's got good good peripheral arterial flow this is something else and it was a condition that i've heard of before but this was my first time seeing it phlegmasia cerulea dolen have you heard of it no <laughs> i get to teach i haven't no Fleg did you spell it phlegmasia yeah phlegmasia is p-h-l-e-g-m-a-s-i-a phlegmasia he put the leg in phlegmasia this guy and phlegmasia for those who don't speak what greek i suppose swelling it's phlegmasia cerulean dolens cerulean fans of uh, devil wears prada will be screaming that means blue oh yeah 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 blue, cerulean blue dolens dolens dolorous is pain. pain yeah so acute but basically blue painful swelling of the leg 
PCD, I'll call it PCD now if you don't mind, just to save a bit. <laughs> um, but phlegmatis dolens, it is the end of the spectrum for deep vein thrombosis. It is total venous occlusion. The point where the leg has no outflow uh, and it becomes engorged, engorged, engorged as arterial blood continues to pump into the leg with no way out. The leg then becomes, first of all, white. That's called phlegmasia alba dolens, alba meaning white. And that's when the, all the venous outflow from the leg is coming by the collateral systems. But when they are capacitated and they, there's no more outflow, then it becomes PCD, cerulea, the blue phase. And actually, effectively, it is ischemia because um, once you've got no outflow from the leg, you simply cannot flow into the leg and the arterial system becomes slow, sluggish, and eventually stops. And these patients can get gangrene within hours. Um, so it's very similar to arter uh, arterial ischemia, but the crucial difference is the problem lies in the venous system. And she moved her ultrasound scan from and she just put it on his um, femoral vein and she went, aha, look, there you see, completely full of clot. There was no blood flow at all. We could see the femoral artery next to it pulsing weakly, but the femoral vein, no color on it. There was absolutely no flow. She says, I think this guy's clotted off all the way up his femoral vein, all the way up to the ILAX and maybe the IVC. So now he has PCD. He has no exit from the vascular system in his leg and he has effective arterial ischemia secondary to that. It is just like arterial ischemia, an emergency, and he needs removal of the clot very urgently. She said, yes, get the CT. And well, actually, I think I'd got the CT angiogram at that point. And we're waiting for the report. But um, it was a really interesting moment for me. And I was sort of looking at us as a threesome, me, the vascular surgeon and the patient in the room. And I thought to myself at the time, this is actually really nice. We've got two consultants here side by side. One of them's showing, teaching, telling another something new. And, and we were working together for the patient. And um, I just thought it was a really it was a really nice moment for me. And I kind of feel empowered now. If I ever were to see this disease again, to pick up an ultrasound probe, I know what buttons to press now. It's dead easy. I know what I'm looking for. And it was a real learning moment for me. I, obviously, I went home and, to look up PCD, and it said that 40% of these cases are associated with malignancy, and you kind of should do a malignancy screen on these patients. And I guess that would be obviously a good history, and um, possibly cross-sectional imaging, like a CT abdo um, chest X-ray looking for any common primaries. And the mortality is actually pretty high. So this guy sitting in my waiting room had a 20 to 30% mortality from this condition, which was a bit higher than the usual clientele we have in, in our SDEC. And the patient was moved very quickly round to um, A&E majors. Again, that's unusual. That's not a normal direction of travel in our hospital, SDEC to majors. It's normally exactly the other way around. Um, and he was started on a heparin infusion. And then he went to uh, theatres with interventional radiology and they did catheter-directed thrombolysis. They busted that clot. He went to PACU, the poster, um, part of ICU for, for post-op patients, for an ongoing heparin infusion. And he walked out of hospital about four days later with excellent blood flow in and out of his legs. So he had a really excellent outcome. And in his particular case, the uh, clot was put down to his recent surgery. To, uh, six or seven weeks ago, he'd had this hernia operation. So it was considered um, provoked rather than a spontaneous uh, clot, which obviously has impact on how long you're anticoagulated for after this is all removed. So 
yes, it was a good two hours of my time from what I thought was going to be a 15 minute, have a quick look and see if there's a DVT or not. And the DVTs that we see in Estec are usually baloney. They're usually uh, short and they cause a bit of local inflammation and swelling, but not much more than that. And our interactions are usually, do they need a D-dimer? Do they need a well score? Do they need a scan? And if it's all shown up positive for a clot, we cancel them for a DOAC, we give them a DOAC, and we send them home with follow-up at the anticoagulation clinic. And we've got that down to a fine art now. The doctors who work there, the ACPs who work there, we can do that process very, very quickly. So this was a bit longer than usual. But thinking back, the referral was kind of correct. It was a DVT that was sent around. But it was a DVT, which is technically a vascular surgical emergency and probably didn't want to be in ambulatory care in the ESSEC department. But the system worked. We rallied. We coordinated. We brought down the relevant experts to the bedside who came, made the diagnosis, and the patient had a really good outcome. Wow. Yeah, I mean... Really interesting case from lots of different angles. Um, one of the things I did write down was POCUS. And obviously in acute medicine, we're doing a lot more point of care ultrasound. Um, and I'm slowly getting there. Um, I was I didn't really do it in training because I was a bit of a late trainee in acute medicine. Um, I went to it after rheumatology training. So I didn't really do POCUS as a red, so I'm doing it now as a consultant, which is also interesting, trying to learn a new skill. Um, so, you know, what is the role of POCUS in the ESTEC setting and in this case? And it sounds like the vascular surgeon, she actually used it, didn't she? And said, look, you can see the clot, you can't feel a pulse. From a management perspective, long term, are they on a DOAC after yeah. the initial? Yeah. A DOAC. Okay. And because it was a DOAC, yeah. Yeah, I was, oh, we probably answered my question. I was going to say, because it was a provoked clot, is it for three months? That's our usual practice. So if someone has a, a clear trigger for a clot, it's three months. If someone has an unexplained, yeah. unprovoked clot, it's six months and further assessment. And that's when you'd start screening. Has this patient got a secret cancer? Um, yes. Yeah. 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 Now I'm going to ask a question now, and I think you may actually stop the recording. Did you do a D-dimer? This patient <laughs> came to me. Do you know what? This patient came to me pre-bloods, which is unusual. Yeah. Um, they don't do yeah. blood UPC. It's it's a it's AD minors, it's a staff by GP. So he came to me pre-bloods. And in fact, this is one case where I kind of didn't I didn't care about any bloods. They were almost yeah. an afterthought saying, Oh, God, he's probably gonna go to theatre at some point. We better do some bloods on this guy. Yeah. It was yeah. actually maybe a D dimer was done because it's because Plot was written everywhere and, and D-dimers get sent. And I, in retrospect, I, I don't know actually if you had a D-dimer. I wonder how high it was. Mm. I've seen it's about 15,000. Our cutoff being 550. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm just out of curiosity really because I know pretty much you can't get through S-deck without a D-dimer. And I'm just intrigued as to actually, well, I'd never do one anyway, but I wonder, I bet he's going to be sky high, wouldn't it? It wouldn't change anything though, would it? It's just no. all academic, I think. Isn't and this is, a, um, this is an example of when, you know, we, we've said it on many, many podcasts before, you do a D-dimer when the Wells score is low. Um, you do it yeah, when you're not yeah. clinically sure. This man's Wells score was very, very high. So a D-dimer becomes completely irrelevant. And imagine a scenario where he'd come back with a D-dimer that was weirdly negative. We've got a clot there on the angiogram. We've got an ischemic yeah. leg here, really, a functionally ischemic leg. So mm -hmm. the D-dimer is academic. 
Can I also ask a question as well? You mentioned about the mortality rate. Mm. Is the mortality rate high because of the associated malignancy or is it high because of the impending arterial ischemia? So, you know, what is the cause of death in these in, in these patients? It's related to isch- tissue ischemia and then organ dysfunction. Patients will right. develop gangrene within six hours if they do not have normal blood, sto- blood flow restored. And if you can imagine right. the average journey through um, an ED system or an SDEC mm-hmm. system, you know, you getting getting uh, that thrombolysis in the six hour time frame. I mean, you might not even get assessed till hour six, you know, if you're waiting mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if this gentleman had not come in, this was in the summer, if he had not come in wearing shorts with his leg, like uh, showing like a beacon to all who saw it, I wonder what his journey would have been like if it had been hidden away under a pair of trousers. And it wasn't until the trousers were removed and he was examined that everyone had this reaction. Um, he may well have sat in the ED waiting room for much longer and um, politely waiting his turn to be seen with this very, very painful leg with leg pain written written all over his drug, uh, his medication. So I'm trying to say uh, his admin sheet, you know, so yeah. the fact that it was visible meant that he moved a bit quicker through the system than if it was invisible, which is interesting as well. That is really interesting. And I think that goes back to something again that we spoke about in other episodes is the importance of truly examining the patient and, you know, taking their clothes off. You know, if they've got, don't ever listen to the lungs over a shirt and a jumper because number one, stethoscopes weren't made for that. But also you lift that jumper up and you lift the shirt up and you're like, oh, there's another diagnosis under there that will help identify one of the things i often see is erythema abicanae which is the red bluish discoloration secondary to water bottle usage and i think if somebody's got that on their skin and they're presenting with pain on that area that pain's been there a long time because they've had a lot of water bottle usage over there so actually there's so many clues on the skin you know to look at and like you say this gentleman if he hadn't actually seen his leg his course through the hospital may have been a bit different Mm-hmm. one I of seen, my particular bugbears is you know, jo- jo- joints being examined through clothes as well you know knee pain examined the child skill isn't it <laughs> i've seen um septic arthritis being mis being not diagnosed over the phone which is another skill as well but um i've lost my train of thought now i think another one just what i'm thinking about it is zoster so um zoster yes. so when people come yes in, absolutely. Back pain and chest pain it's happened to me on a few occasions that you, you don't see until you look and then you've got a little herpetic outbreak somewhere and you go, oh, they're getting zoster and, and that is going to, that's what's causing this severe pain they've got. So yeah, look. that's a really good one for chest pain as well, isn't it? Particularly anterior chest pain that we're not sure, is it cardiac, is it non-cardiac? And then you look and you're like, oh, there it is. there's a little vesicle and it may have been one or two, but then the next few days later, they start to develop and you've got your diagnosis there. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so much for that, Ben. That was a nice, short, succinct podcast with some massive learning points in there. So what are your three takeaway points for the listeners today? I'll go backwards chronologically. So I'll say number one is the the examination and the visually inspecting the area right down to the skin, seeing that body part that you're looking at, because you make assumption that the disease, which is presenting with these symptoms, are coming from within the body and there's often something on the biggest organ that is visible to the naked eye the skin that we need to see as well so that would be really important my second one would be um as i said at the beginning if you find yourself in a situation and you feel irritated because this is not your job or this shouldn't have happened or this something wrong something's gone wrong and you're doing this work for someone else i get it i i respect it 
have that feeling, but you've got to let it go and refocus on the patient in front of you. By all means, we can look at this afterwards and we can see what the weak links were in the chain that led to this happening. And I think if there are any medical registrars who do on calls who listen to this, hopefully this is something familiar with them because you hear a lot of them saying, oh, you know, a lot of things come to the med which is not appropriate. And I, I completely remember how irritating that is. But obviously it's not the patient's fault. The patient is doing as they're told, they're moving through the system as they've been ushered by people that they trust and they've landed in front of you. And that you have you have to deal with the patient first of all, then you have to deal with the system issues and your irritation um, when you have the bandwidth to do it when it's safe to do so. Patient safety, it's got to be right in the center of everything. And I guess my third thing would be, let's do a nice clinical one. DVT, we often consider a semi-benign situation, which we can sort of see quite quickly. But DVT has an ugly sister and it's called Phlegmasia cerulea dolens. And if you Google it, the image that comes up on the, the first Google image that you see was exactly what my chap's leg looked like. It could have been him. So take a mental photograph of that when you see it. And then when you get these DVT referrals and you see something like this, then you'll know. And if you feel capable enough, get out that ultrasound, um, find the femoral artery. It's dead easy to see there, isn't it? In the inguinal area pulsing away and just look at the vein next to it. It should have flow as well. If there's no flow in the vein, maybe you've clinched your diagnosis of PCD and you need that CT angiogram and an urgent surgical consult. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ben. I feel like I've had a 30 minute brain workout. <laughs> I think I probably need it today, actually. So thank you so much. Thank you to everybody for listening. Please rate, review and share the podcast with anybody who you think would be interested in listening. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Home of Medicine podcast, a podcast brought to you by the EFIM Academy in association with the European Federation of Internal Medicine, a leading organisation in internal medicine. Thanks for listening.